Hey, we are glad that you are here, glad that you have come out, hope that you have stocked up on hand sanitizer. Hey, we're glad to see you, but give a little room to everybody today, if you don't mind. If you have not heard, Punxsutawney Phil did not see his shadow. He did not see his shadow. Uh, neither, neither did uh, Chattanooga Chuck, but he died in November, so that was a given. Um, but just going to let you know, no shadow and so that means that spring begins today, right? I mean, it's supposed to be 60 degrees. Some of you are really happy about that. It's supposed to be 60 degrees today, 60 degrees basically all week. Uh, I found myself this year watching the Hallmark Channel just to remind myself what winter looks like. Yeah, I mean, you can watch the Hallmark Channel, see all those Christmas shows. I mean, it snows in almost every one. And I'm like, you don't make those in the South. And then when they show one of those Hallmark movies, and it is snowing, and it's supposed to be in the snout. I know you're in Canada. I mean, it's not true, because now in the south, we have basically two seasons, 100% humidity and 85% humidity. That's how we roll around here uh, right now. So, uh, but one day, you're going to be able to look back. You're going to be able to look back, and you're going to be able to tell your grandkids uh, that you were a part of the generation that remembers what snow looks like in Tennessee. You can say, I was there. I was there when we used to have to wear jackets. Yeah. I was there when we used to have to um, wear sweaters at Christmas time. Yeah, we, we could do that. Uh, you'll be able to tell family members that, and they'll think you're so cool because you remember what it was like. So, hey, it's Groundhog Day, everybody. Welcome. Man, we're glad that you're here today. And I don't know if you know, but Punxsutawney Phil... Okay, y'all didn't get that, but that's all right. There, there is a movie. You can go watch it and, um, and see. Hey, we are excited that you are here. And uh, we are excited because we've got some big things planned uh, for this month. If you came in, you saw the balloons. Uh, you realized, hey, something's going on here today. Something's going, to, um, something's going to be happening. And we do have some big plans, not only for today, but for, for the month as we talk and and as we share together, and as, the, as our um, air conditioning and heating units work, and you see the balloons moving around, some of you with dyslexia can read that. <laughs> Others of you have trouble right now, I know, uh, because everything's not staying the same. But I promise, it's as big, and this is going to be a big day, and this is going to be a big month, and we're excited to be here to be a part. So let me start off by making what is a big statement that I'm going to have to back up I'm going to have to back up with some Jesus teaching today because after I say it, you might think, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that or not. Here's the big statement. There is no way to be a faithful servant of God in his kingdom without taking some big risk. There is no way to be a faithful servant of God, a faithful servant in God's kingdom, without taking some big risk. Now, naturally, we are risk-averse people. Uh, we do not go out and seek chaos. We do not go out and, and seek for things just to, to fall apart. Or we don't seek to, to be these risk-takers. We, we don't go out and try to be these energy junkies. We don't try to, to do things necessarily that push the limit. For the most part, we are, as a majority, very just calm people that go about our lives and, and do things in a certain order, and we want to make sure that everything happens in a, a certain sequence. It gives us comfort, and it makes us feel good. 
But in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is in the middle of teaching about the kingdom of God. And he's telling about what the kingdom of God looks like and tastes like. He's talking about what the kingdom of God feels like and how it surprises us and how it disrupts us. And he talks about how to get in and out of the kingdom. And he talks about how not to, to lose out on it. So I want you to open your Bibles, open up your app to uh, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, a pretty lengthy, lengthy reading here that I want you to read, it, read with me there from your Bibles. As Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, and I want you to notice the risk that he says is involved. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole, dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward. He said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned twice more. The master said, Well done, good, faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came. He said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops that I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? It, at least it could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant out into utter darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, we're pretty well-schooled. We're well-schooled from the writings of Paul about certain kinds of people who do not inherit the kingdom of God. We've heard lessons about those who are the wicked, the impure, the, the sexually immoral, the deceitful, those who are filled with rage and the such like. But what we're less prepared for, we're less prepared for this kind of person. The kind of person that Jesus adds to the list. The person that he says will not be a part of the kingdom of God. And he says it's the person who is cautious. It's the person who's cautious. You see, this parable is usually presented as a story of good and bad stewardship. 
But often what we do, we neglect how it turns our normal thinking of stewardship upside down. Whenever we use the word stewardship, it evokes an imagery of frugality and caution. It's the idea of tithing off the top and not buying on credit and, and living within our means. And all these things are all well and good, but the stewardship that's commanded in this story takes us in a whole other direction. In this story, the good and faithful servants are those who shoot the moon. It's the servant who, who they go and they leap before looking. They go and do something that is just totally crazy and out of this world. They took a big risk. And the master rewarded them because faithful servants take big risk. In this story, it was the bad servant. It was the wicked, the lazy servant. It was, the, it was him who was the cautious one. And this bad servant received something from his master, not as much as the others, but a sizable part of the master's possessions. And the purpose for the master's sharing with these servants was one thing. Put my money to work. Put my money to work. Increase my wealth. Do something with what you have been given so that my net worth grows. The master looks at his servants and says, look, you've got one job. Now, I love looking at the pictures online of the people who had one job, right? Don't you love finding these? Yeah. Hey, some of you have driven on that road right there. You, you have. And, and, and be careful because if you're, <laughs> you might end up parking in the fry lane. Okay, be careful with that one. I love this next one too. <laughs> Left turn coming up. Just, um, just don't. And I thought, well, maybe it's because these guys just had a problem in school. And then I realized, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I think that's what it is. <laughs> you know, they had one job. At least two of the servants get it right. But one servant does not. And oftentimes we say, well, why, why, why did he not do what the others did? And on the surface, on the surface it might, you might just think, well, he just didn't have enough. I mean, he's only got one bag. He only received one talent. And we conclude that maybe he resents the others and he's just upset because he got shortchanged. We think maybe that he's like that, that person playing Monopoly who they get down to the last few pieces of paper money and they realize, I've just got too little. I've got too little to lose. But a talent was an extraordinary sum of money. One talent, as maybe you heard this story in the past, represents 20 years of wage. And so don't think that he wasn't given a lot of possessions to take care of. He had something that was immense. And yet he was too cautious. His master didn't expect him to to bring back any return more than what he had been given. His master would have been happy if he had just gone down to the bank and opened up a starter account and just began drawing 2% interest. The problem is not with the amount, and this is what I want us to understand this morning. Friends, God is not interested in what I would do if I had more, but he is intently focused on what I am doing with what I have been entrusted God really does care how we use what we have been given. So I have to ask myself, how am I using the things that God has blessed me with? Whether great or small, how am I using these things to grow his kingdom? 
How am I using these things to impact the community in which I live? How am I using the blessings of God in order to be a blessing to others? See, the root issue in Jesus' parable is this servant's view of his master. He sees the master as cheap, so he's cheap. He sees the master as stingy and hoarding and mean-spirited, so he goes around and does likewise. The servant had bad theology, which is really the point of the story. How we see God affects how we live. Our theology determines our destiny. All of our problems, including all of the solution to those problems, are at their foundation theological. How we see God will impact how we live. Is God good? Is he generous? Is he loving? Is he kind? Is he gracious? If you believe these things, then you will begin to act like this more and more. Because as you worship and follow and serve a God who is, who is kind, who is, who is big, who is loving, who is gracious, who gives more and more and more, then you will find out that you will begin looking more and more like him. You will go and you will do likewise. But if lurking in the back of your mind, or, or even not so far back in your mind, if you have this idea that you see God as angry, as miserly, as demanding, as mean, as demeaning, then more and more, you're going to be like the God of your understanding. You're going to live like the God that you see, and you will go and do likewise. And notice what the bad servant's bad theology produces. It's not wild living. It's not extravagant self-indulgence. It's not embarrassing wastefulness. His bad theology produces caution. He's afraid. He's afraid to use what his master had given him. He won't trust anyone or risk anything. It's not that he, he misuses what his master entrusts. Prodigals do that. And God has a soft spot for prodigals. He doesn't waste money like prodigals do. No, he never touches the money at all. And the master has no soft spot for that. In fact, when you set this particular story side by side with Jesus' story about the prodigal son, the conclusion is startling. God has more patience with those who waste his possessions than those who preserve them intact. Who try to hoard, try to keep everything close to the vest, who refuse to take risks. And the man's punishment, notice what happens. The world closes in on him. His view that his master is mean and stingy, well, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. What he had so diligently held on to, he loses. It's taken from him. And I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates Proverbs 11 and verse 24. He says, the world, the world of the generous, well, it gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And in the end, according to Jesus' parable, the stingy miss out on the master's celebration. God takes a keen interest in what I do with what I have been given. God watches how we use our finances. God is looking to see what we're going to do with our homes. God wonders what he's going to do with our lunchtime. 
God, God wonders, what, what is it that we are planning for in the future? What is it that we are holding back? You wicked and lazy servant. But there were two good, faithful servants in the story. They have a good theology. They see the love in the heart of the master. When they look at the master, they see someone who isn't cautious, who entrusts his possessions without micromanaging. He gives these things to his servants, and he gives them in large amounts. The, the largest amount that he gave out represents 100 years of wages. He's a supreme risk-taker. Understand, as Jesus is telling the story, those first re listeners, they're, they're there and they're hearing what's going on and they're, they're wondering, should I be laughing at what Jesus is saying? Because nobody has seen this type of money. Nobody has this type of wealth. And then if they did have this type of wealth, no one would give it away like this. No one would entrust it to servants. And Jesus said, but this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what the master of the kingdom is like. He has more wealth than you can imagine, and he gives it out to his servants so that they might be able to increase what it is that the master has given. He's a prodigal master. He just gives and gives as, as if he were wasting. And so these servants, they see a master who is generous, and, and when they get it right, he gives them more. In fact, even though the money is all his, the story ends with the servants getting to keep what they originally were given, and then they end up getting more besides. That's how the master gives in the kingdom. And these servants, they look and they see a master who is happy. In his generosity, he invites them to share in his, in his greatest possession, his own happiness. Come, let's celebrate. Enter into the joys of the Lord. Come on. And they get to partake in the hilarity of his cheerful giving. But there's also one more thing. They see what the lazy servant saw but did not understand. You see, the servant goes through this little soliloquy against his master. He says, you reap what you do not sow and you gather from places that you did not go and, and scatter seed. And, and he's right. The master does exactly what the lazy servant accuses him of. The master even says so, right? And that's the whole point of the story. The bad servant has observed correctly, but he has concluded wrongly. The very fact that his master operates in this way is actually amazing. And I want you to think about it in terms of the kingdom and in terms of your relationship with God and where you stand with him. It means that our master actually invites us and entrusts us to grow his kingdom for him. You and I actually get by direct invitation of God. We are invited to help enlarge the kingdom. We're in, in, invited to do something big. And we do it with the master's wealth and all that he provides. But he says, you use your creativity. And you create something for me that is more than, than what I have handed out to you. Our master says that car and that house and those relationships and that money, go make more. Go expand. Multiply their effect. Accrue interest on them at least. So that when I show up, have more to show for the things that I have given. The last thing I want is for you to keep the things all shiny and new. 
You don't give your children a bicycle hoping that, well, they'll never get scratched and they'll never lose spokes and never pop a tire. And our master says, well, I don't give things to you with the expectation that they're not going to get well used. God is not looking for a church on his return that says, look what we did with all that we had. We kept it safe for you, Lord. We kept it in the bank. We built up the money. We kept the building clean. We made sure everything was shiny. We made sure there was no dirt. We made sure that there was no dents. There were no bumps. We never did anything that might make others question our motives. You lazy servant. God trusts us with his stuff. And now we need to leverage what he has given us. Putting it to work until he returns. God invites us to expand the borders of his kingdom by using what he has put in our hands. So let me ask you a question that we ended our series with last week. When was the last time that you attempted something big for God in your corner of the world? When was the last time you took a big risk? When was the last time that, that you did something that actually required faith? Maybe it means beginning to tithe. Maybe it means actually contributing to the work of this church financially. Maybe it means saying, you know what, I'm going to make sure that the blessings that I've been given, first and foremost, those blessings are used to impact the kingdom of God. Maybe that means starting a Bible study in your dorm room. Maybe it means using vacation time for a mission trip. Maybe it means that you volunteer your time and talents to be used in an existing ministry here at East Brainerd or somewhere else in the city. You begin to ask, how can God use my property or my money or my gifts? And then you begin to say, wait a minute, no. It's how can I use God's property? And how can I use God's money? And how can I use God's gifts? The gifts that he has blessed me with to be a blessing for someone else. How can we be more intentional? Or maybe I should have put in that blank, how can we be more risky with God's blessings? Think about it when it comes to us as a collective body. What risk will we be willing to take for the kingdom in the coming years? What if we sought, think about this for a minute, what if we sought to double what we have already been blessed with, just like those servants did? What, what if we just took Matthew 25, what if we took this parable of the kingdom, and what if we looked at the attitude of those who were called good and faithful servants? And we said, we want to do with the resources and the blessings that God has given us exactly what they did. We want to be creative and and double what it is that the Lord has given to us? What if we became more intentional in our impact? What if we actively sought to double our ministries? So I want you to think about something. What if we were able to go from 23 schools receiving snack packs to 46 schools receiving snack packs? Well, what if we were able to go from 10 missionaries to 20? From a weekly attendance of around 650 to a weekly attendance of 1,300. From one worship assembly to, to two, because you can't get 1,300 people in this room. 
What about from one location to, to two? What about from 24 baptisms in a year to, to 48? What, what about working towards doubling the amount of money that, well, the, that we give each week? The amount of money that we put in these different ministries? What if we were to double the number of volunteers in our prison ministry? Double the number of children and families who are part of EB Kids? What if we were to double our, our, our YAC and our youth ministries? What if we were to double the amount of participants in EB groups? Whatever it is that we can quantify, whatever it is that we can look and say that we are currently doing, that we are currently involved in, that we currently invest in, what if we said in the next two to three years it is our goal, it is our mission that we are going to move people toward a life-restoring relationship with Jesus Christ and see those things double? Would you want to be a part of a church like that? Would you want to be a part of a community of God that said we are not going to be cautious, we are going to take risks, we are going to reach out because we believe in a God who loves and a God who saves and a God who is still active and powerful in the world today. Would you want to be a part of a church family like that? I want to be that. And I think that there are those who are outside these walls who want to be a part of something like that as well. What if we were good and faithful? Let me close with this. I was recently reminded about an alternate translation of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. This is a verse that you've read. Maybe you've got it highlighted in your Bible. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who, who love him. Those who are called according to his purpose. It's a great passage written by the Apostle Paul. The idea that God is always working, always looking out for his people. But most translations also have a little asterisk beside that verse pointing to an alternate reading. And it goes like this. And we know that God works together with those who love him to bring about what is good. Gives a little different perspective, doesn't it? That says that God is looking for some good and faithful men and women to help bring the kingdom of God to earth. I want to be a good and faithful servant. I, I want to be able one day to, to perhaps hear that phrase, enter into the joys of thy Lord. I can remember as a kid hearing a lot of prayers that would have that particular phrase in it. It would oftentimes conclude with the individual praying, and, and Lord, when this life is over, may we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. See some of you shaking your head. You remember hearing some of those same prayers. And in my mind, I always went to the idea that the good and faithful servant, well, that was the one who did everything right. I mean, that was kind of the, the, era that, the era that I grew up in. Had to do everything right, had to get everything right. There wasn't a whole lot of room for grace. The good and faithful servant was the one that was the most obedient, and good luck to the rest of you. But then one day, I actually read that parable. And I found out that the good and faithful servant was the one who wasn't cautious. 
the one who believed in a big and generous God, and the one who took risk on behalf of his master in order to increase the wealth of the master's kingdom. So now whenever I hear someone say, Lord, when this time is over, when this, when this world is done, may we hear the words, good and faithful servant, I think of something totally different. And my mind now goes, and I begin to ask myself the question, what am I doing with what God has entrusted with me? How am I blessing others by using the things that God has blessed me with? I think it's a question we all need to ask. And it's a question we all need to answer. It's a big question. We serve a big God. And so my encouragement for you, my encouragement for us as a church is as, as we walk through this series together during February and as, as we talk about ideas such as big love, as we talk about big impact, as we talk about big house, I want you to remember, well done, good, faithful servant. I want that to be us. Not the cautious, not the lazy. I want us to be known as the church willing to take risk to expand the kingdom of God. Maybe somebody took that risk when they invited you to be here this morning. They didn't know what you would say. They didn't know how you would act if they said, hey, why don't you come to church with me? But they took the step, they took the risk, and they just stepped out of their comfort zone, and, and you came, and, and you're here today. If you'd like to learn more about the, the God of generosity, this big God that I've been talking about, I'd love to talk with you more. There's going to be a time... Just after we get finished in here, it's called EB 101, and it's a time where I get to share about what happens here at East Brainerd and the way that God works in our midst. It's going to be in our prayer room, and I would encourage you to come and to be a part of that if you're new to our midst. Or maybe, maybe you took the risk in the fact that you came here this morning knowing that you were going to come today and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I want to be baptized into Christ for the remission of my sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit then we want to rejoice with you. Don't be cautious today. Be a risk taker. Take a risk for God and see if he doesn't give you even more than you could ask or imagine. Let's stand and give him praise.